Welcome to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast, your source for solutions-focused dialogue about race in America, with your host, Scott Speed. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Race Haven Podcast. This is solutions-focused dialogue about race relations in America. My name is Dr. Scott Speed, and I am the facilitator of the dialogue. This is episode 26 of Race Haven, and today I am joined by my friend and co-host, John Costino, who's the founder of MoneyWise, and a special guest and friend, Raid Curtis DeVoe, who is a community leader, youth mentor, and coach with the Anderson Monarchs in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. At the end of the show, uh, both gentlemen will have a chance to give more details on what it is they do and how you can connect with them in their work. Uh, how are you doing today, John? I'm doing great, Scott. It's so great to hear your voice, my friend. Uh, likewise. Thank you for joining. Can't wait to get into the dialogue today. I appreciate your time always as usual, in your time and your perspective. And also my, my good friend, Raid Curtis, as I grew up calling him, Kurt DeVoe. What's going on, Kurt? Hey, what's up, man? How you guys doing today? Doing good. Wonderful. I'm doing good today. Awesome. So, um, and, and again, I appreciate, uh, you know, Kurt, as I'm going to call him throughout the, the podcast, joining us as well. Um, some of you may have heard Kurt on another show. I believe this is his second appearance. Is this your second appearance, Kurt? Yep, man, it's his second appearance, man. I'm trying to get a, a spot on here. <laughs> man, we need to make that happen because what people don't realize <laughs> is that 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 me and Kurt have race haven type discussions literally every day. So all the time, um, man. All the time, and I'm always saying, man, we should have recorded that. So we we got to figure out how to um, eventually make that happen. Uh, around several topics, but always uh, a lot of critical thinking, uh, you know, going into those conversations. Uh, but with that said, I'd like to also tell people, uh, you know, how I, I got to know uh, my guest, um, you know, each show. John's been a regular, uh, but, you know, it's been a while since I, I shared, so I'll go ahead and share that as well. Uh, you know, John Costino is someone who I met, I believe, back in 2011, 12, 2012, and uh, John was the president of a direct sales uh, company, energy company, that I joined as an independent contractor, salesperson, uh, to market the energy product for that company. And, uh, you know, immediately I noticed that something was different about John just in the way he led that company. I had been a part of other sales organizations before, uh, and it was always pretty top-heavy. And one of the things I noticed about John that really stuck out to me that I never forgot is that John made it a point to make sure that everyone was recognized, no matter uh, their position in the company when there were incentives uh, being dealt out, whether they be uh, recognition or, or incentive trips for the top salespeople. He made sure at every level that people got recognized, people had an opportunity to take advantage of some of those perks and incentives, whereas other organizations and companies I had been a part of in the past, you had to be at the very top of the organization in order to get that type of recognition. But John was very mindful about engaging uh, sales reps and, rep and independent contractors along uh, at each position within the company, um, and, and that was very impressive to me. Uh, we also had a chance to spend some time together on one of those incentive trips in Barbados. 
we, we had a great time out there and really got to know each other on a deeper level, in addition to spending a ton of time uh, with each other just in the trenches building, uh, building the company uh, here in the Atlanta area when John would fly in to do leadership trainings, trainings in general, um, and, and et cetera. Uh, so with that being said, you know, when I started this race haven thing, you know, um, about a year ago now, over a year ago now, uh, John eventually, you know, got wind of it and said, you know what, I want to be involved. I, I believe that it's a great mission and, you know, it's, it's something that's needed. And I want to lend my voice and my perspective to that. And man, it, it came out of nowhere because at that time I had not been uh, with that organization anymore. And John also at that time had moved on from that company to another company and he reached out to me uh, about Race Haven. And that just, again, just, just, you know, it speaks to the type of person that he is. Um, and then for my friend Raid, we literally met each other in ninth grade, you know, all the way back to, you know, high school. We met in ninth grade of high school and, you know, just been literally like brothers ever since. So, I mean, that's the long and short of it with, with uh, him and I. So uh, with that being said, you know, I, I'm excited to get into the dialogue today. Today we're going to, uh, to dialogue about the protests and resistance movements against President Donald Trump. And we're going to dialogue and ask the question if they are healthy or harmful for Americans. Uh, so again, are the resistance movements and protests healthy or harmful for America? But first, before we get into that, I'd like to um, uh, tell our listeners uh, how they can support the ongoing uh, improvement and, and maintenance of this show by becoming patrons. Uh, if you visit racehavenpodcast.com uh, and click on become a patron, you'll see all the details and the perks that come along with supporting this show. And I'd like to take a moment just to thank those individuals who are patrons who have been supporting this show uh, for the last several months uh, by becoming patrons at Patreon. So if you get value out of these shows after listening for a while and you think it's worth contributing to the, the ongoing uh, improvement, and growth of this show, please visit racehavenpodcast.com and click on become a patron. And before we explore the topic, I'd like to start each show uh, by discussing, or at least each dialogue show, by discussing uh, why I believe that dialogue is greater than debate. And ultimately, you know, this show is literally uh, about us modeling um, a skill set called dialogue that I personally believe, and a lot of people I've spoken to and have been working with over the last couple of years in this endeavor have come to believe is that dialogue is a unifying skill set, whereas debate uh, is a skill set that continues to uh, cause divide. And, you know, while we grew up in a society where debate was, you know, we live in a debate-based society and we went to school and there was debate clubs and, you know, we always looked up to the people who are really good at debate because they always won and we live in a winner type society, a winning type society, and the winner gets the praise. And when I came across dialogue and the tenets of dialogue, I immediately got excited uh, because I felt like dialogue would be a skill set that could unify us uh, as a country and as people. And I think that, um, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone else, but I'll just say for me, I think that's needed. And I know that I've spoken to a lot of people who also think that is needed as well. So each, each time that we uh, jump on a podcast, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to share with you a different example of how dialogue is greater than debate. So this, this time I want to share with you that dialogue assumes that many people have pieces of the answer and that together they can develop them into a workable solution. 
And I want to say that again, and I want you to think about that in light of the, the, the climate that we're in in this country. Dialogue assumes that many people have pieces of the answer and that together they can develop them into a workable solution. To contrast that, debate assumes that there is a right answer and that someone has it. Moving on, as I, I let that marinate a little bit with, with, with all of you, our listeners. So here is our framework for authentic dialogue on this podcast. Number one, participants listen with a sense of curiosity and ask questions to uncover the underlying assumptions and beliefs behind someone's statements. So I'm going to really challenge um, the, the co-host and guest today to really, uh, you know, come with that level of curiosity and ask questions of one another, because I think uh, as we continue to improve, this show is always trying to improve and trying, we're just trying to grow. We're trying to improve. And I think that uh, as I engage in this show, as well as engage in the race Haven community dialogue group on Facebook, um, I be, I, I've noticed that I think this is an area we all can get better at, which is really listening with a sense of curiosity and asking questions to uncover the underlying assumptions and beliefs behind the way someone's the, behind the way uh, someone feels instead of just, you know, hearing them and then going into how you feel without, you know, probing for a little bit further and deeper understanding. So I'm going to put a challenge up uh, for my two uh, co-hosts slash guests today to do just that. Number two, participants are willing to communicate their thoughts openly and honestly while putting aside emotions, defensiveness, and a desire to be right. Very important. Please bring your most utmost honesty and open openness to this show, and I think our listeners will appreciate it. And number three, participants approach someone who sees a problem differently, not as an adversary, but as a colleague in common pursuit of better solutions. So welcome to the dialogue. John and Kurt, are you ready? Absolutely, sir. Awesome. All right. And Kurt, are you still with me? Yo, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, All right. great. Yeah, I'm ready to go, man. <laughs> ready to go. All right. So let's go ahead and kick this off with, um, you know, again, we're coming from, uh, you know, I mean, just when you're talking about politics in general, you know, this is this is supposed to be a race a show that delves into race relations, but, you know, politics in general is going to cross over into race relations and race relations is going to cross over into politics. I believe that, you know, within this, um, this title, uh, of the protest of, of, of the President Trump um, and what we're trying to do with this show and what we're going to explore, you know, obviously race is going to be a part of that in terms of some of the, the rhetoric around the quote-unquote Muslim ban, um, which has gotten a lot of, uh, you know, headlines over the last several weeks, et cetera. So with that being said, uh, this is going to cover both, you know, politics and race relations, and it's going to intermingle and cross over, et cetera. So I want to start out by highlighting the fact that there's been several protests um, literally leading up to um, the election and prior to the election, Donald Trump specifically uh, faced a lot of protests because of some, um, because of the way that he, um, you know, spoke and some of the things that he said that a segment of the country uh, felt was inflammatory and they felt that it was, um, you know, irresponsible in a lot of ways. So they began to protest um, him even before, you know, he stepped foot or even before he won. And then uh, once he won, there were immediate, immediate protests. And then leading up to the inauguration, there were protests. 
And then the day after the inauguration was one of the largest protests in the world, which was called the Women's March. And literally, in addition to hundreds and hundreds of thousands, uh, estimates of over 500,000 people marching on Washington, there were also two to four million additional people who came out for that march all throughout the U.S. And another four to five million people that came out throughout the world to show solidarity for the Women's March, all in resistance to Donald Trump being elected. And beyond that, there's been protests in several uh, places throughout the country ever since. Literally, it's, it feels like it's been such a long time, but we're just coming up on a month of, you know, since inauguration. And one of the things that I, I before I let um, John and Kurt jump in, I just remember thinking to myself uh, as this was going on that um, while all these people are out here protesting, I wonder how that makes Trump supporters feel. The people who actually voted for him, I felt like those protesters weren't actually just protesting President Trump. They were protesting President Trump voters and supporters as well. And I wonder how that makes them feel to see all of that. And then uh, about, I believe, the 21st, the day after the inauguration, John Costino posted a video on Facebook expressing how he felt. And he eventually reached out to me and asked me to watch that video. I watched the video and I appreciated the video from John as someone who voted for Donald Trump and has expressed many times on this show the reasons why he supported uh, President Trump. And I listened to the video and John's message was one of unity. It was one of regardless of, you know, what side you find yourself on or don't find yourself on, um, you know, how can we, you know, unite beyond all of these things? So that was partly the inspiration, you know, for this show and the tone of what this show is going to be. Because in addition to that, I have conversations with Kurt literally almost daily. Um, and he is someone who has expressed to me that he supports the, um, the protests and the resistance uh, of, of President Trump and his, you know, cabinet and all the, you know, the things that he's done. And while John is someone who obviously supports Donald Trump, so we're going to have an opportunity to get both of their perspectives on this topic, and I can't wait to do so. So to start things off, I want to start with John. And, and John, I'd just like for you to recap for us, what was the motivation behind the video? Uh, what were you feeling? Did you feel like the protests, or, or even do you, because they're still going on, do you feel like the protests aren't just against Donald Trump, but they're also against people like you who actually voted for Donald Trump? You know, Scott, it's, um, it's a completely different perspective, and I appreciate um, that a, you watched the video and that we got a chance to talk about it. But for me, it, it goes beyond Donald Trump, and I, I'm going to speak very, very candidly about this. I have been struggling with for a long time now the deterioration of our society. And when I say that, when we were kids, and I'm about 10 or 12 years older than you, when we were kids, it was a different scenario. Today, it just seems that if you don't get your way, throw a fit, throw a tantrum, scream and yell, make enough noise, and you'll get your way. And that's just not any way for any society to function. And so my, my reason for making that video 
And again, I'm being blunt when I say this. Yeah, I voted for Donald Trump, but my point is, if Hillary Clinton had won, I'd be saying the same exact thing if there were people out there destroying public property, destroying private property, attacking innocent bystanders. I don't care who the victor was in the presidency. I'm talking about the behavior, not peaceful protest, not meaningful protest. I'm talking about the absolute just despicable behavior that says I didn't get my way so I'm taking my ball and I'm going home only they're not taking our ball and going home they're flat out destroying things and creating havoc that was my whole point at this stage of the game you didn't win you voted for Clinton Trump won I get it be pissed be angry be whatever but you don't have the right to now go take it out on society in general and affect other people who are trying to function. And that was my whole point. And, and it just seems, and I won't make this a blanket statement, but it just seems that there is a portion of our society, and I don't think it's the masses, I think it's the minority groups. We've talked about this. We're on both sides, liberal, conservative, European-American, African-American, it's the small little groups that make the noise and create the havoc, and then all of a sudden everyone gets the blanket label. But we are still just condoning that behavior, and the more it gets condoned, the more it grows. So, yeah, I'm still disgusted by the fact that, again, as a society, somehow we're celebrating that if you don't get your way, wreak havoc, do whatever you want, be destructive, because that's the might-makes-right mentality, and, you know, that's just not going to work. That's not how things heal, for sure, and it's certainly not how things get better. So I'll shut up there and kick it back over to you. Okay. Um, And when you say we as a a society um, keep allowing this behavior, could you – I just want you to give a little bit of context on that. What do you mean by that when you say we as a society – keep allowing this behavior before Kurt jumps in. The, the, the media seems to celebrate it. The media okay. appears to celebrate it instead of saying, see, again, and I'll talk about, since you open it back up, celebrities. We are a, a, a group of people that for some reason are brainwashed by athletes and entertainers, and they get to take their public stance in the media at various functions, and it's bad enough that they say stupid things. But what's worse is that the masses then react to it and follow it. And so, again, when I say that we condone it and celebrate it, there should be no one that says, hey, I was watching that video, and I saw, you know, 200 people walking down the street throwing stuff through plate glass windows and destroying businesses. I know everybody saw the video of, the, uh, of that little mass riot where they were destroying that Bank of America and Starbucks right there on the corner. Anybody watching that that is not saying this is just wrong is a part of the problem. And that's my point, that there were too many people celebrating that behavior and saying, see that, these people, they're disappointed that you know, Hillary lost and Trump's in there. And instead of saying this is not how we react as a civilized society – they're celebrating it. They're promoting it. They're advocating it. So, yeah, that to me is, is a major, major part of the problem. 
Okay. And Kurt, why don't you jump in and, and just give your, and actually I, I would like for you to just since John kind of highlighted the, the protests that turned violent, um, you know, I have some statistics here that said there were 371 plus arrests, uh, about 43 plus injuries. Um, there was vandalism and, you know, destroying of property, et cetera. Um, what's your thoughts on that, Kurt? So, um, I mean, I feel like uh, come off like rather John comes off rather judgmental about the protesters and the degradation of society as if like, uh, you know, he's on this moral high ground when it comes to what's happening. Um, I mean, quite, quite frankly, uh, you know, people who feel the, uh, feel the urge to protest and feel the need to protest, um, things could be that, that, that dire, you know, and, and the other thing is that who knows how that protest environment, you know, unless you've been in a really heated protest, um, where, you know, um, unless you're in that environment, you don't really know how things are going to play out. Um, you know, I've talked to plenty of people who, who, you know, started one way in a protest, but because of, uh, the perception of the people that they're protesting about, it kind of just escalates and escalates and escalates. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I, I, I don't feel like it's, it's, uh, you know, that big of, uh, it, it's, it's magnified by, I will agree though, it is magnified by the media. The media doesn't have to cover it. Um, the media on both sides doesn't have to cover it, whether it's the left or the right. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I, I'm never, a, I'm all for people, uh, standing up um, and speaking their mind. Yeah, I mean, it's a very simple saying, and it's that the squeaky oil is the one that gets the will. Um, and I really don't think it's or the about, will. The, the squeaky what is the squeaky will is the squeaky one that gets oil. the oil. Oh, yeah, the my will. bad. Squeaky will yeah. is the one that gets the oil. So um, I don't I don't I don't look at it as as crying or screaming and shout, but I look at it as a means of uh, holding people accountable and and. And having a voice, I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty standard American practice to protest. And sometimes that protest does lead to other things, um, even, you know, with, with peaceful intentions. So I really don't, you know, I, I'm not, me being someone that's watching uh, from a media that I, I would say that uh, John and I both don't trust, uh, it's hard for me to judge you know, what's going on in these protests and, and just say that these people are looting or vandals or or any, or, or destroying property or, or any of that. I mean, do I see, uh, you know, physical property being destroyed? Yes. But do I know the conditions that led to that? I really don't. You know, I'm just kind of sitting back in front of my TV watching it. Um, I think that, the you know, uh, a lot of the protests is not it, – it's more about – you know the the rhetoric and the, and the way that things are carried about. Uh, so you take like the women's protest, right? One of the largest protests they had. Um, I mean, I don't think people would necessarily be against Trump if if he wasn't if he didn't make misogynist you know misogynist statements or insightful rhetoric or you know degrading statements about women or you know so it's 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 a lot that goes into all of this, and I think that you have to look at those factors. And look at the, um, you know, what's important to people. While you know, I heard a lot of people say that you know they supported him because of business this and 
you know, well, to some people, their personal rights or rights of women are, are what's important. So um, okay. I just feel like – go ahead. Now, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to jump in and, and dig a little deeper, and I'm not sure if John would ask these questions, and John, I'm sure you may have some questions too, but right off the jump, you said that, uh, that John came off judgmental and like he was on a moral high ground, and I want to I dig a little deeper into that statement. Um, what, why do you think he was being judgmental and coming off like, a, like he was on a moral high ground? Because he, let me, well, and let me say this, because what I heard was John saying that, you know, the, the destroying of the property and the violence that broke out, et cetera, at these protests is, you know, is, to, is nothing to be um, praised. It, it, it's not, but uh, he led with statements of, about the, the degradation of our society and how our society is, you know, degrading. And he also led with uh, how we have a mentality that if we don't get what we want, we scream and shout. So um, I don't condone the destruction of property uh, at all, but I'm, I'm going by with, he, with what he led with. So um, the thing is that instead of looking at that, you know, kind of look at why the people are protesting. What, what is the protest about? Why are they protesting? They're not just protest. They're not just walking out and saying, you know, Trump didn't win and I'm going to blow up a store. It, it's actual reasons behind that. And, um, and I believe the media does play up the worst parts of these protests to invalidate, to cause the mainstream people, you know, cause the people that's influenced by these media outlets to invalidate the reasons that protesters have. Okay, so John, why don't you jump back in? Absolutely, and, and I will again be really clear about this because Kurt, if I've misspoke, I will apologize right here publicly. I have zero issue on any level with people protesting. I think it is their right, and I encourage people to protest. Was that clear enough? Because I want to make sure you heard that. I have no problem with people protesting. My challenge. Yep is when protests turn destructive and violent. And I'll make it personal. It's not about what caused that. It's about the reality of it. If it's your house that ends up getting destroyed because there was a protest that started, you know, 10 blocks away, and for whatever reason, it got out of hand, so they decided to just start running down the streets and it could be European-American, African-American. It could be male, female. I don't care who's protesting. If they come through your street and start tossing bricks through your windows and smash your car up, are you okay with that? Like, is there anything that could have created that protest to go violent? So you're going to go, hey, that's okay. I'm so glad that those people got angry enough to come 10 blocks away and destroy my house and car. So, so let me stop there. So, so – um... You asked me would I be okay with that. Um, yes. Because you uh, said that it didn't matter because sometimes it, 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 it matters so, what happens at the protest. So, so when you look at the bigger picture, um, so you take in you, – you, you can't look at that singularly. Right? Well, can, can we so, stay with my so question I, first because so, I'd like you to address that. So uh, it depends. If I agree with the people we're protesting with and that's where it got to, uh, and I thought it was an unjust – it was an injustice that was done, and that was just a result of what happened. I mean, I you know, yeah, you'd be okay with that. I mean, I I I mean, would I want it to happen? No, but would I be able to understand it? Yes. Okay, so now you have two children playing in the front yard, 
who happened to be beat up by these protesters. Your little children had nothing to do with it. Still okay with it? So you, you, I mean, you're going down this extreme road. You know, to paint this picture of extremism. Kurt, I'm I'm making a statement because this is the reality. See, it's easy for people to sit back and say, well, you know, it depends on what caused all that. I've watched too many innocent people end up as victims because people don't know how to protest peacefully. When they don't get their way, they react poorly. I'm not judging. I'm making a statement, and I'm simply asking you to defend your position because when you see anybody as an innocent bystander get attacked, it's someone's brother, sister, mother, father, or children. So I'm asking you now if it were yours, would it change your perspective that no matter what, we should not allow these things to turn violent and destructive? That's all I'm asking you. So uh, my position is not that we should allow it to become violent or destructive. My position is that I can't judge when, when it, you know, I can't judge people who get to that point. That's my position. And that's fine. I'm not asking so, you to so judge has I'm just saying as, okay as a society. It, it, it has nothing to do with am I okay with it or not. Um, I, I said I, like, uh, I, would rather, I would rather peaceful protest. I really would. Thank you. That's all I'm saying, Kurt. That was the whole thing. So, that's all I want to do is get you back to that point that we both agree protest but, is but, fine, but it should be peaceful, not destructive and violent. That's all I was getting at. Well, I mean, the other side is that it's two sides to that coin as well, um, because I also agree that the people, the the enforcement that is in charge of that approach, that should should remain should remain peaceful and act in a professional manner as well. So Absolutely, it's, I didn't. It's, I didn't it's say two, it's two sides force. of it. And I, and I do not. And I do peaceful. And, right. One one at a time. One at a time. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, Kurt. I mean, finish up, Kurt. No, no, no. So. So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I believe that it's a responsibility on both parties, not just one. But when course. you look at the when – you, when you see the result, you have to say, well, how were the enforcement agents – you know, did they incite it? You know, did they, did they strike first? And, you know, so it's, it's two parts to that story. And I just want to – I want to recognize that it's two parts of that story. And you have you, – you know, and watching it through the media lens, we almost are. Uh, we have the inability to see both sides, and I, I believe and that I, for and you. I, to, and I believe for you to be able to judge the situation. Say, okay, wait. Say that again. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make a point. The statement was not protesters versus police force. I'm saying peaceful is peaceful across the board. I'm asking you not to dissect it and try to find validation for the violence. If police. Well, gets out of line well, and incites it, then yes, that is just as wrong, but it doesn't justify that we're then just going to burn the city down. That's all I'm trying to do here is make a statement that we can both agree on, because this is my point about the society just not giving a crap. We justify behavior instead of making a stand and saying, no, violence does not work. It is not going to bring anyone to a better place. It's just going to destroy whatever it destroys, and then people are going to have a new reason to be angry. So let me jump in really quick because it seems like, you know, one of the things, one of the tenets of dialogue is, is finding common ground. And just to highlight the fact that, you know, I feel like there's some common ground in both of your positions and that, you know, you both believe that, 
you would rather for the protests. Um, I'm sorry, you agree that it's okay for people to protest and that you would like to see those protests done peacefully. Is Would you guys agree? 100% that, agree. You agree yeah, with yeah, those statements? 100%. Yes. Okay, and then now, what? before we move to the next um, point, what I'm hearing is, whereas John, you're saying that there needs to be a zero tolerance in terms of our acceptance and our rationalization for the violence and just saying, listen, you can protest Americans, dissatisfied Americans, protest, but how can we focus on doing it peacefully where people aren't getting hurt, property isn't getting destroyed, people aren't getting arrested, etc.? That's what I hear you saying. Am I correct, John? Yes, and I'll even add in there. Police must maintain that same protocol. This is not an us versus them. This is a unified. It Everyone. has got to be from the – exactly. There has to be a way to peacefully protest your message and not allow it from one side or the other to turn into violence and destruction. Correct. Okay. And, Kurt, do you have any – is there anything missing in that statement, that common ground statement that you feel like needs to be brought to the forefront? No, no. I mean, as long as the responsibility is on both parties, no. I mean, I, I agree. Okay. So we, 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 all, we all can agree that, you know, all parties involved need to have a zero tolerance for violence mandate, and then so, everything so would be okay, is, right? So, Go right, ahead. Right. So this is, this is, this is, this is uh, it, it kind of it comes off, and I'm not, and I'm not you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know John as well as you. And I'm not, you know, but it, it comes off as the response, you know, the, it comes as, as that the intent is for these people or for protesters to become violent. Like that, like let, me, let me stop you. Let me, let me stop, let me stop okay. you, Kurt. Just for the, for the sake right. of dialogue, could you frame that statement as a question for John? Because what I hear you saying is basically you want to you, – that's a question that I think would, it will come off better and it would be better suited for the dialogue as you frame that as a question for John. Right. So, so when, when you watch these protesters or you watch the, the results of protests, do you, do you think that the intent of the protesters is to become violent or destructive? You know, it's a great question that I couldn't possibly speak to the answer other than the fact that for some people it could be. I believe for most people it's not. Hmm. But so, I would never be able to speak to where someone's heart or head is when they go out there. I can speak for me. I know that if I'm upset enough to protest, there's a level of, of discontent. Does that mean that I'm going to get angry if someone gets in my face? No, but that's because I've evolved. I've worked really hard on myself. So back 10, 15 years, yeah, maybe I'm looking for someone to get in my face and provoke me. So that's an individual thing. But my point is we as a society can make the decision that protests are going to be peaceful or there's going to be hell to pay, not it's going to be celebrated and justified. That's all I'm getting at is that when we begin to rationalize and justify behavior, we let it control. Okay. And and I'm not being judgmental. I'm saying I could have fallen on both sides of that fence. If you go back 15 years, I could have been just as angry and violent, but today I wouldn't be. So, so do you do you think do you 
do how do you feel about a protester who de- who is acting out of self defense or defending himself him or herself well it's a def- self defense is always acceptable if someone is attacking you you have every right to defend yourself so self defense is exactly what it is the defense of you against an unprovoked attack so i'm speaking to the unprovoked attack a police if it's someone in law enforcement overstepping the boundaries of their uh, ability, then they need to be reprimanded, removed, and punished. If it is a protester overstepping their rights as an individual, then they need to be subdued, removed, and punished. That's all I'm saying. And guess what? There's a very small, thin line between uh, a cop who is now turning into a criminal, but he still has a badge on. We all know that. I'm not sitting here saying all cops are, are, you know, rainbows and unicorns. I'm saying that as a society, meaning you and I are having a dialogue right now that many people will listen to. My hope after the dialogue is that they say, you know what, Kurt and John don't see everything the same way, but they both agree that none of us should be violent anymore. Police, law enforcement, or protesters, African-American, European-American, Male, female. That's the only point I'm making at is that's how we begin to make a statement that all of a sudden now everybody says, okay, well, it's unified. No one's going to be, you know, rewarded or celebrated if they get violent. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, okay, so just really quick, if I could jump in. I mean, um, I agree wholeheartedly, John. I think that, that that should be the expectation. That's the mandate. Uh, that should be the mandate. And when I hear, well, the, here's the thing. I think we all can agree. We've all been young men. Uh, we we kind of know the um, the adrenaline that can go pumping through you when you're um, not as wise. Um, and I and I see a lot of young people are the ones who end up, you know, breaking into stores or vandalizing certain things. And there's just, and even some older people too. Some people are opportunistic. Um, and of course there's a whole lot of reasons why even that stuff happens that, you know, for me, I can speak to the conversation on this level, but in the back of my mind, the whole what's going through my mind the entire time is that is just all of the the systemic structures, uh, in our society that lead to these events happening. They're all, they're all symptoms of a greater problem. And, but we're speaking to it on this level. I know that, you know, there's people out there who are opportunistic. There's people out there who are flat out violent. There's people out there, like you said, they'll come, go to a protest on either side of it looking for, you know, an altercation. I think we all know that. And I think that the problem, one of the things that both of you agreed on is that the problem is that the main issues get lost because those, those things, the violence and et cetera, the vandalism is more sensational. It's a better news story. And unfortunately, we're, we are, because of the way, again, because of the design of our system, every organization has to make money, including news organizations. When I say our system in this sense, I'm talking about our economic system. The news, news companies have to make money, so therefore they're going to go with the story that's going to get the most eyes, and therefore it's going to be about the violence and the vandalism, and it's not going to be necessarily about the cause or the purpose. So I think we get mixed up into all of that as well, and it muddies the water because it's out of the millions and millions of people around the world that protested, only a small percentage, probably, you know, 
resort to violence or vandalism. And even with the numbers I just quoted, there's actually a Wikipedia page dedicated to the Trump protests, um, and it highlights some of the violence and everything that went on. And, you know, out of the literally, let's see, five, close to 10 million people just from the Women's March around the world, they have about 371-plus arrests and 43-plus injuries. Those are very small, right. uh, small percentages. So I just wanted to you know, wrap that, side, that part of uh, the dialogue up with that. But I, I will say that I believe that we reached some common ground uh, and that we all agree that you know, there should be a way for us to do this and without being violent. Um, and we discussed all the reasons why. So I want to move on to the next bullet point here and get into some of the specific reasons why people are protesting and some of the things that are rubbing people the wrong way around uh, President Trump's policies. And the first one I want to start with is the quote-unquote Muslim ban uh, that uh, President Trump instituted with his executive orders uh, that basically said that, that people from about, let's see, what, seven to nine, I, I believe it was seven countries, um, Middle Eastern countries, could no longer come into the United States and, um, for a, a period of time. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, there, well, for a period of time, but it was instituted immediately, and a lot of people kind of got caught up in the, in the crosshairs and they were detained at airports all around the world, and it scared a lot of people. Um, and, it, and it just sent a message because, um, you know, some of the rhetoric on the campaign trail was that, you know, President Trump was going to institute uh, some type of uh, registry that every Muslim in America would have to register and that he was just going to ban Muslims from America completely. And some of these things that came out during the um, campaign that I think fed into and led, led to some of the hysteria around the executive order that actually put a time frame on, you know, um, you know, how long it would be before these people could come back, you know, can start coming into the country, et cetera, along with some other, you know, features to it. And I know you guys can speak to it, um, you know, and add some context to this, but I want to highlight the fact that, um, you know, Kurt is, is a American Muslim. Um, as someone pointed out to me and Kurt, you can speak to this if you want, but um, you know, he's, an African-American Muslim, and some people see them this little bit differently as they see um, Muslims from the Middle East or Africa, et cetera, all around the world. But I will say, just for context, that Kurt is, not only is he a, a Muslim that was born here in America of African descent, but he's also well-traveled. He's been to the Middle East several times. He's, um, uh, he's been to Mecca uh, for the pilgrimage. What is it called when you go to Mecca, Kurt? What's that? It's called the... The Hajj. The Hajj. The Hajj. He's, he's been on his Hajj to Mecca. Uh, so he's he's very um, he can speak to this with a lot of context as well. So I want to start with you on this, Kurt. Um, you know, how did this Muslim ban or immigration policy? And I know that some people in the political world are saying it's not necessarily a Muslim ban because, you know, they're letting people in from other Muslim countries. But if you could just speak to, you know, how this sat with you, uh, did you think it was just, you know, the seven countries that were banned, um, et cetera, if you could just you know, speak to that before so, John jumps in. So, um, you know, the uh, the irony is that the the actual it's not it's actually not named the Muslim ban, but uh, Trump referred to it as a President Trump referred to it as a Muslim ban several times before he was actually elected, and he also talked about the Muslim registry. So, um, and then when and then when confronted about it being a Muslim ban, uh, people say, you know, people in you know, from the from the Republican Party and the other politicians, they say that it's not a Muslim ban. So I kind of feel like he's playing a game. 
um, using this kind of incendiary language. It's kind of like when you're in court and you say something, and then the judge is like telling the uh, telling the jury or whatever, you know, strike that from the record. But it's too late; you already heard it. So the message of the the spirit of it was already was already put out there. So when that so when it came down as as uh, quote unquote law or action or policy, it was it was implemented in that spirit and not exactly in not exactly impl- implemented for the verbiage. And that's why right now we have, you know, uh, judges uh, ruling against them and saying that it's uh, unconstitutional and stuff. So as, as an African-American Muslim um, who, as, you know, I'm American, uh, I've, I've been to uh, the Middle East. I've been to, you know, in Dubai and, and Saudi Arabia. And having a lot of uh, immigrant Muslim friends and knowing immigrant Muslims, um, it weighed on me heavy and it weighed on them heavy as well to know that um, for, for them to feel like a target, um, for them to feel like, uh, you know, scared to go visit family members, scared for family members, you know, uh, to, to, to come visit. And also, uh, you know, to even more so be concerned about the Muslim registry, which, um, you know, which as an African-American living in a society, I mean, I really, you know, I'm not going to say it would not affect me, but, you know, I'm kind of used to dealing with stuff. <laughs> so I just, I just think that, um, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about the, about the countries that he said you couldn't come from, you know, for, uh, versus other uh, majority Islamic countries that have business dealings with the U.S. and how they're not on a ban, which, you know, I mean, which is stuff that you can't necessarily prove, but, you know, if you use critical thinking skills, I mean, it kind of makes sense. So I just I just would say that, I mean, the biggest thing with the Muslim ban to me is that um, the spirit in which it is uh, was implemented initially and um, and and how the, the language that was used to describe it, and I just feel like it's, it's kind of like a game being played, so... John, do you have any questions for Kurt on this? No, I actually um, I, I completely understand where he's coming from, <clears throat> and I will go so far as to say that I don't support the concept of a blanket, you know, ban of anything. You know, Scott, we've talked about this over you know many of these dialogues. <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of just making blanket statements about any you know organization, any gender, any nationality. That's where we get into trouble. So <clears throat> for me, I believe that this is what we now see as blowback because we've seen for so long a lack of understanding. I won't even comment because I don't work for the government. I don't have intimate knowledge of it. But we'll say a lack of understanding of the true vetting process from people coming into this country. And I will also say that because of that lack of understanding, it feeds into, and this is going to bleed back into our previous conversation about protesting and when people are angry. There are an awful lot of Americans, period, just Americans, African-American, European-American, Asian-American, that are really dissatisfied with a lot of what's going on in our country. And I'll speak just for me, John Costino. One of my challenges right now is not that I'm against any immigrants, period, from being brought into our country, 
I am very much frustrated with the fact that as a society and as a country, we haven't really done a good enough job of taking care of our own. And what I mean by that, not to sound selfish like only America matters, but we have a significant challenge in this country right now, the returning injured military, the veterans, homeless, uh, not getting adequate medical care. And so for me as a human being, I look at that and I say, we've got people coming to this country illegally, not legally, illegally, getting full benefits across the board. They've never done anything to support the American society. And that's not that I'm saying they don't deserve a chance to be here, but I'm not saying that they deserve the chance ahead of somebody who's lived here, went to war, fought, whether you're against the war, even people that are anti-war have to agree that if a young man or woman goes and serves this country and is injured, they should be taken care of when they come back. They shouldn't be kicked to the curb. They shouldn't be stuck in some closet somewhere for people to ignore. And so that is part of the outrage that's going on in our country because we all recognize that there is a massive breakdown in the system. So when you hear people are coming to the country illegally and causing problems, whether it's legitimate or fabricated, it stems a, an outcry to why are we taking care of them instead of taking care of our own who we know grew up here, went to school here, went into the military to fight and protect this country, and now they're homeless, jobless, and, and left to die. That is the biggest reason, I believe, that we see this quote-unquote ban on, on Muslims as well as you know, all type of, of illegal immigration. That's really where, again, I believe the source stems from. And, and again, is it right or wrong? No, I'm not supporting any of that stuff. But I am saying that there's a legitimate reason for the majority of Americans to be in some way incensed or outraged. And again, this is their form of protest to demand this or to demand that, that, hey, you know what? We've got to start taking care of our own. I don't know if so that makes any this, sense, but I, I'm not supporting it. Yeah. So, I mean, I heard a lot. It's like you, you – let me just ask this. When President Trump signed into law, um, you know, this immigration um, executive order, did yep. you agree with it? I don't even know the specifics of what was written. That's why I said I can't speak so, to it other than to agree with Kurt that if he's saying, hey, look, this isn't right, I'm going to defer to that because I don't know it. My point was to make the statement, why was it signed? It was signed as a response to what's been going on for quite some time. So, so, but the, the, so you stated uh, issues that affect us as Americans, but the – I mean, he clearly said that it was a security issue. It had nothing to do with finance or what what, what kind of funding the VA got or what kind of Correct. medical or uh, health insurance. So it's it's almost a not related not related to any of the, the any of those issues. It's no, it, I, I it's said, solely it's a response. Exactly, it's yeah, a but, response. But, the but response why, of Americans why, is stop bringing people in here. And the easiest answer was they're a threat to our society. But security. I said I'm not so, saying this so, was. I said I said I'm not sure if it was true or fabricated. I'm simply stating this is why it was done, and this is why half of Americans support it because they perceive this to be 
a way to stop illegal immigrants from coming to this country, causing harm, and more importantly, whether it was stated in the order or not, taking benefits away from Americans. That's been something that's been a rally cry for a long time. Yeah, but, but it's, I mean, it's really not rooted in reality, to be honest. Um, immigrants don't hold on, commit hold on. the majority. I'm sorry, Kurt. Let me, let me, before you go into it, again, just in the interest of making sure this is a dialogue, before you make your point, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you agree with John on the point of, you know, that, the, or, or the segment of Americans who felt for a long time that if we slowed down the acceptance of refugees and immigrants to this country, we would have more resources to do a better job taking care of our own? I, I, I have no, I have, no, I, I, I don't know that to be true. I don't even have a, like, I do not know that to be true. That Let was a big rallying cry during the entire presidential primaries and then, of course, during the main election. Okay, I don't, so, I don't so you're saying you don't true. know it to wait, be wait. true. Go ahead. You don't know as, it to be as, true. As, now, go ahead. As, I don't know it to be true as a connecting, like, the connect, you know, the fact that we don't have resources to the fact that we have immigrants. Um, the, the main thing that I... I was under the impression that it was a security issue. Okay. So the, that was the, the main thing when, when President Trump signed into um, the executive order. Uh, the main reason that he chose the specific um, you know, countries that he chose was because those were supposedly hotbeds for terrorism. Now, the interesting thing that was brought up throughout this was that there had been zero terrorist attacks uh, on America from any of those countries, um, and that the, the countries that the 9-11 terrorists came from, there were about four countries, uh, including Saudi Arabia and Egypt, were not on that list. So that was one of the things that people objected to. Um, so just to, to kind of move this forward, I mean, it sounds like, John, you don't have, a, 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 you don't have um, any strong feelings uh, about it outside of you agree that there shouldn't be any blanket ban on anyone because of a religion or anything like that. You said that. You also stated that you believe that, you know, if there was any way that this could possibly help with consolidating resources so that we can do better for, you know, Americans, you're for that. And Kurt, your point is you thought it was for security reasons, but you think because of the language and because of the rhetoric um, that it put people in harm's way and, and it, you know, it made people who are Muslim and who, or who have close relationships with Muslim immigrants, they were able to empathize because of the harm that this ban, um, you know, it did. In, 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 the, in the immediate, you know, I'll say that <clears throat> when I read stories online about family, family, people whose family were uh, being detained and they were crying because they didn't know what the end game was going to be because it all came down so abruptly and you know, just in the way it was handled personally, I felt like it was very a lack of, um, you know, leadership in terms of uh, a lack of solid leadership in terms of the way it was handled. Um, so I know because, Kurt, one, you're Muslim and two, you have Muslim immigrant friends, you empathize on a higher level than a segment of Americans who may not. So with that being said, um, John, I want to know, as a Trump voter, as a Trump supporter, how do you feel knowing that President Trump, someone that you voted for, his actions are impacting real people 
in harmful ways. And, and let me just add this, John. Some of the people that were detained and some of the people that weren't allowed to come back into the country for a couple of days uh, were actually American citizens who had already gone through the vetting process um, from some of those countries, like Iran, for example. People who had jobs here, people who had businesses here that were taxpaying, citizens, legal, et cetera, and their whole lives were turned upside down. They didn't know if they'd be able to get back to work, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a couple of days before things got sorted out. And, but in that moment, a lot of people were just freaking out. So what are your thoughts about that, John, and how that impacted people, especially from a leadership it's, point it's a, standpoint, because you're a leader? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a terrible situation. I mean, it is absolutely not on any level acceptable for somebody who, like you said, has already been vetted, has become a part of our society to, again, because they, I think the story I read was a guy was on a cruise, came back from his cruise, and was detained and not let back into the country. There's never ever going to be a time where I'm going to say that that's acceptable or that's good. That is what we now see as collateral damage, much like we talked about earlier when it came to protesting. And I don't play sides of the fence. Collateral damage sucks anytime it happens, and that's what we're realizing right now. When President Trump went in and signed those orders, I, again, don't speak out of turn. If I don't know, I'm not going to say. So I'm going to say point blank, I don't know the specifics of it, but I can promise you I agree with you that it's terrible on any level for one person, let alone dozens or hundreds or thousands, to be displaced because of that. But, again, that's the product or the byproduct of the mess that we already found ourselves in. Again, it's not that it's justified. It's never justified. But it is a response to the craziness that we have been caused by the media with the, the illegal refugees coming here and creating physical violence, physical harm and danger. That's why everybody got up in arms and everybody supported it. So should well, it happen? Me, no. Am I happy that it happened? No. Let me clarify one thing because immigrants and refugees are two different, um, you know, uh, demographics or populations. Uh, the refugees mm-hmm. are people who came here from war torn countries um, you know, and they came here, you know, in dire need at a, at a moment where they didn't have a home. Um, and they were without, without a country, without a state, without representation. Those are who refugees are. And immigrants are people who just, you know, they may not have come under such dire, um, you know, straits um, in that capacity, even though it may have been dire in a sense of poverty or looking for opportunity. But refugees are literally without, without a home, without a country, because they're, they're a place of um, you know, their former home was, um, you know, overtaken by some tyrant or through war or whatever. Right. So, and also there's no there's and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I read somewhere where there has been no instances of refugees, you know, committing any like heinous acts or anything like that. There's been no incidents of, refu- of refugees committing any terrorist attacks or anything like that um, or, or any just, you know, I know that President Trump highlighted, you know, um, the criminal element of, of, of certain Mexican immigrants, um, you know, and he highlighted that on the, tra- the, the campaign trail. Um, but what I want to ask you, John, do you think, because, you know, Kurt highlighted the fact that President Trump, he created some of this uh, environment because of his, his, his rhetoric, you know, so a lot of those protests were a direct result of the fact that he mentioned a Muslim ban. He mentioned all Muslims having to go under a certain type of, uh, you know, have to be vetted 
in a certain, in a different type of way and have to go on some type of registry and be followed around and basically like, you know, big brothered um, and not I mean, have talk, the same rights and freedoms as, as other Americans who come as immigrants, mindful, which all of our ancestors, whether, you know, by force <clears throat> or voluntarily immigrated to this country, um, you know, but he's trying to, he's othering, you know, Muslims. Um, do you think, what do you, what do you think, say about what, I just want to know your thoughts on that, John, in terms of what is President Trump's, um, does he have any, um, I can't think of the word, any, any culpability or, at all? Yeah. Any, any culpability to any of this, uh, inflammatory environment we have right now? Absolutely. There's no question. His decisions and his actions are going to cause a good segment of our population to be incited. So is he culpable? Absolutely. Um, Again, this is not – so many times people will will misinterpret and then make assumptions. I don't sit here and defend anything and everything that President Trump does or says because I voted for him. And that's – you know, Scott, we've talked about There's free thinkers and then there's sheep. Sheep just follow blindly. Free thinkers think about stuff and then make decisions independently. So a lot of times because I'm white, because I'm a businessman, all of a sudden you must love Trump. I can't tell you how many people made that assumption prior to the election. And that's just wrong. So I want to be clear about this. Do I think he's culpable of stuff? Yes. Do I think it creates more damage? Yes. But at the same time, I don't know enough about the specifics to comment intelligently other than to say, I understand where it's coming from. I understand why the segment of the population that gets incited is incited. And I think, again, we have to come from a different perspective. We have to figure out a way. Let's go back to the beginning of this dialogue. If people can't peacefully protest that are Americans that were born here, raised here, and live in the cities that they're protesting, if we can't figure out a way to do that without destroying public property and becoming violent, why waste any time thinking about immigrants from other countries and refugees from other countries? We have a major problem that we're ignoring. And that's where it spins all the way back to uh, a big portion of our society and our country saying, stop letting anybody in. That doesn't make that statement right, but I understand the fear that creates that thought process and that statement. And that's what President Trump was elected on. He went around this country and he talked in in every state that he went to and got people excited about the fact that he was going to close borders and he was going to say, no, we're going to start fixing America from the inside out. And that resonated, whether, you know, either one of you agree with it is irrelevant. That resonated with the majority of our population. And that's why we're seeing things. It doesn't make it right, but it should at least help us understand this is why some of this stuff is happening. And so we've got to start looking as a society. And, Scott, that goes back to my video. My video was about what the hell is happening. We have to recognize this is where we are. Now how do we dig out of it? And do we dig out of it together or half of it's going to take a shovel and the other half going to keep putting the dirt back in as we shovel it out? That was my point in the video, and that's where we're at right now. So I want to highlight one from... point before you jump back in, Kurt, really quick. I just want to highlight one point that I think is important that I heard John say. John said that just because he voted for President Trump, that doesn't mean that he agrees with everything President Trump does. 
And I, I, I read between the lines and I'm, I feel that for you, John, and other Trump supporters, it's like, it's not fair that you get lumped in um, with all these blanket assumptions because you voted for Donald Trump that you are and one the ones that I hear going around a lot that bother me is that everyone who voted for Donald Trump is a racist. Everyone who voted for Absolutely. Donald Trump is a misogynist. Everyone who voted for Donald Trump is, is, is um, xenophobic. I personally, that bothers me that when John, like just John, when you say that, um, you know, as Americans, we should be able to agree that, you know, we shouldn't, we should be able to protest, um, you know, peacefully and come to a common agreement on that. I feel like we should be able to come to a common agreement as Americans that we have to stop speaking in such broad terms and labeling and making assumptions about people. And more importantly, letting politicians and a very narrow, a very narrow subset of choices, Republican or Democrat define any of us or voter, non-voter, whatever you, wherever you fall in the way of politics, that your, your beliefs and your values and everything, just because you chose one of those boxes, everything that the people that, that were voted in to represent those things, everything that they embody is embodied by the people who had a very small choice to vote for chose. I think that's unfair. And I think we're being intellectually dishonest uh, when we do that, and there's some people I really respect that do that that I see on Facebook, and I just I just think uh, I just think we can do better. I just wanted to add that really quick, but go ahead, Kurt. So I but I also think though part of that is the acknowledgement that um and you know I have a lot of you know I just I just think the the acknowledgement that I'm not saying that you know you're a racist, xenophobe, misogynist, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, all all indication is that you know you voted for one, and you, you know, and I think that I don't think that makes you a bad person, you know, because I mean, I, you know, I guess you you were weighing interest, and all you know, and these things you know kind of took a backseat to some other things that were a priority. But I just I don't I think that you know we, if we're going to be honest, we really need to be honest, you know, and if you know and I don't even know if Trump is a racist, but I know he makes racist statements. I don't know if he's, uh, you know, he's misogynist, you know, but he makes misogynist statements. I don't know if he, you know, is xenophobic, but he makes those kind of statements. And I think that from a, you know, you you started to touch on things from a leadership standpoint. When when, when the people at the top can hold these views, it it incites the people, you know, that's following this person to to. To, it, it incites and emboldens them, you know, to uh, to to speak like that. And um, I mean, and, and more and more examples are, are are happening right now. Um, more and more, you know, uh, anti-immigrant, anti-Mexican, anti-Muslim. More and more, this language is uh is becoming open. And I'm not saying that people didn't hold these views, but when 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 the the, the commander in chief can openly say things. You know, with a level of sometimes directness and then sometimes um, ambiguity. When he can openly say these things, it incites and it opens up the floodgates and it incites and it uh and it validates the views of, of people who 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 feel like this, but but with with a level of uh, harm or maliciousness about it. You know, um, I'm not saying that everyone. You know, everyone has prejudice. I, I get it. Everyone does, but uh, it's 
it's how you enact, you know. So when, you know, for while he was campaigning, he called this a Muslim ban. He referred to the uh, Mexicans as, uh, as, as rapists and, and murderers, you know. He refers to the African-American community, your inner city and the blacks, and, you know. So I think that um, when you can see the, the top person and whether you voted for him, uh, whether, whether, whether it was for business policy or not, you still take a little share in him becoming elected and, and, and bringing this about. And I just, you know, I, I think that uh, at some point, you know, all of us need to like really look at that and, and let that settle and evaluate that. So, so how does that, how does that sit with you, John, when someone says that, you know, he's doing these things, he's inciting, excuse me, he's inciting these things. He's making, um, you know, bottom line, flat out, I'll just use the Mexican example. uh, When he talked about the Mexican immigrants are raping women and doing this, that, and the other and murdering people as if like that was the representation of the vast majority of them. And he didn't add any type of context to that. He didn't try to balance that statement out. You know, he totally was very inflammatory with that type of language. And the, the segment of Americans that that incites and the fear that that brings about as a leader, as Kurt just said, as the commander in chief, as a leader, I'll just say for me personally, I thought that, I thought that was very irresponsible. And I've said before that I would, I would have, if I did vote, um, I would not have voted for Donald Trump because of that, that inability to lead uh, in a way that unifies, as, in a way that brings about hope and um, you know, balance as opposed to you know, fear um, and, and, and just a myopic view and very narrow view on things. But with that said, how does that sit with you, John, when people say, you know what, you have to own that, that these things are happening, these people have been energized, this, you know, these kind of uh, extreme views, and you voted for him, so you have to own a piece of that. What's your thought? Well, well real, quick, is, real, quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Go like, ahead. Real quick, I have, I have to own it too, John. You know, I live here. I'm a part of this. So it's, I don't mean it like you singularly have to own it, but collectively we have to own it. So go ahead. No, and I, again, it's, I guess this is the difference for me now over the last, you know, three, four years of my own personal journey. I don't take offense to it. I really don't. Um, I see things through a completely different lens now. I understand. It doesn't make his statement right. It doesn't justify his statement. But I understand why he did it. And it's no different than any other politician. He is not polished on any level. He's sensationalism. He's WWF, you know, wrestling entertainment. That's who Donald Trump is. And so through his entire campaign, all three of us can agree, he said stuff that you just shook your head saying, the hell did he just say? But, and here's the big but, it speaks to what I said earlier. And again, Kurt, if it on any level offended you, it wasn't meant to because it's just a statement of, of our entire society. We have deteriorated as a society on so many levels. I mean, just look at the just ridiculous uh, TV, the, the reality TV shows, these people have become celebrities for being disgusting on TV, not talent, just doing horrendous, disgusting things. They've been celebrated in our society that they're not considered celebrities. People pay money to have them come speak at events. So when I say the fabric of our society has deteriorated, it has. Now, what has that led to? It's led to Donald Trump. Talk about a joke. If we talked about Donald Trump 15 years ago, because people did talk about him running for president 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, 
it was always considered to be a joke. Well, guess what? The joke's on us because he's now our president. That is what I mean by our society deteriorating so much that we're now celebrating that kind of stuff. And this is the culmination of it. We now have a guy who's been boisterous. He's been sound bites. He's been headlines. And that's how he got himself elected. So does it make the statements good? No. Does it mean he should do it? No. But he's going to continue to do it because it resonates with more people than it offends. That's really what I guess I'm saying is we have to take a look at the picture and say, why is it happening? Because more people are resonating with it. It doesn't justify it, and I don't condone it. But it is what it is, and it's, again, why I'm saying we, not the politicians. And I guess this will be my last coin thrown into this uh, this barrel, unless you guys want to talk about it well, more. <clears throat> next I, is going to be the solution segment, John, so I don't know if that's where you're going with okay. this, because I'm, I'm going to give yeah, you a chance to bring about absolutely. solutions. Okay, absolutely. so you want to wait until then to say this last thing? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just dip it there and just say, no, I don't condone it, but no, I don't take offense to it. Um, if people want to say, you voted for him, you own it, I'll say fine. You know what? Because the alternative was worse to me. Hillary I, I appreciate that. and eight, eight more years of that shit, what we've been dealing with for the last four years, because it's not just Obama. It's Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush. I mean, it hasn't been good for a long time. That corrupt machine needed to be stopped. So my and, vote and, for and, Trump and, was a vote against and, the system. But, but do you believe that Trump is going to stop it? Like, do you think that? Absolutely. He already has. It's absolutely okay. clearly evident because everyone is against Trump. Republican Party chairperson basically said prior to the election, we'd rather have Hillary in there than, than Trump. You've never heard the Republican or Democratic national chairperson say that about their candidate, that they'd rather have the other team win than their person get in. That's all I needed to hear. And we thought through the whole campaign. Nobody, the so, government, the media, corporations, Republican, Democrat, everyone was against Trump. Okay, that's so a, this is like a time. Go, for, yeah, going into that is a, a different conversation. Yeah, that's a that's a totally different conversation. I but I appreciate asked, that. You asked me the question. That's why I'm saying. I did. I absolutely. Did, I did. He's gonna. Okay. No, I appreciate it, John, and I appreciate your 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 owning that and being honest, John. I mean, again, I commend you for for the stance you just took and owning you know the decision and 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 not taking offense to it. Um, and also, you know, I understand you know when you say. Um, that your vote was like a protest vote against the system, whereas, you know, just speaking from my perspective, me not voting, not voting at all was a protest against the, the system. So, um, you know, how it all will shake out, you know, I, I know that some people blame me, people like me who choose not to vote. I'm a conscientious non-voter, not someone who just did so out of laziness, like some people try to blanket, you know, uh, paint those who don't vote. But um, sure. with that said, I can relate to the sentiment that, um, you know, you did it as a protest. So with that being said, because we're, we're running short on time, uh, gentlemen, I really, really appreciate your time uh, today. And I just want to just just give you a chance to make one last uh, comment uh, about for our solution segment uh, about what you think would be a solution for uh, some of the divisive, not some of, but the divisiveness uh, that we're seeing. And, you know, again, the topic for today's show was uh, is the resistance against President Trump healthy or harmful for America. So if you want to, you know, tie that into your solution, that would be great. So, okay, we'll start out with, uh, go ahead. We'll start out with you, uh, Kurt. So uh, I definitely think that um, 
uh, it's always healthy to voice your opinion and to have uh, dialogue uh, within the within the proper realms and with a clear head. Um, I mean, I think you know the solution is to is just you know really on a communal level, on a on a community level, do the work that you see need to be done. Um, and I feel like if if we can if if we can take care of that and realize that the power does lie within the within the people and um i actually think that at times uh voting you know the the voting and the in the appeal um to me is a very passive action that's a lot of, a lot greater action than you can do aside from vote for you know for president or whatever for every four years and i think once we realize that um the change comes through that that you know the actions that we do on an everyday basis. I, I, I think once we realize that, that we can really start to help solve these problems, um, and, and and to have a space like that you create to have have this kind of uh, dialogue about about differences. So um, so as far as the solution, I, I just feel like if we if we realize that we do hold the power, and we realize that uh, you know that. There are many things that we could do that are political that do not involve voting. I think that's that's a big part of the solution. Thank you. Thank you for that perspective. John? No, I want to thank Kurt because um, it's a great message, and I'm going to build on that. Um, my frustration and, and the solution to me has always been for us to stop being so divided. Um, your question, you know, does the resistance help or hurt? I'm always in support of people protesting if they're not happy, but it's when the protest divides the rest of us in the, in the general population is where I say it hurts us because when you really stop and look at it and you look at our country, there's less than 1,000 people in Washington making all of the decisions for 300 million people. Worse than that, they're not held accountable to the decisions that they make. There's two sets of laws. There's two sets of rules. And so – the more they can keep us at odds, keeping us angry and divided, the more they can keep control. But when you really sit back and you look at that and you go, how in the hell do 500, 600, 800, 1,000 people rule 300 million? Not 300 million happy people, 300 million frustrated people, angry people, uh, financially strapped people. All of a sudden, we have to start looking, well, what if we stopped fighting, stopped arguing, stopped looking at all of our differences and said, well, what do we want in common? What do we want? I think every one of us would agree. We, again, I've never met Kurt, so I don't want to speak for him, but I'm going to bet he's going to agree with a lot of what I'm about to say. We want a safe place for our families to live, to grow up. We want to be able to children want to be educated, be able to afford the education. We want people to be able to have jobs and be able to support their families. We want to be able to live in peace. Like it's not really that hard when we stop and think about what we all want at the base level, but we don't have it because we're too busy being angry and at odds because of that small segment that makes sure, by the way, they control the media, which is really how all of it gets, uh, gets affected between entertainment and news. But the bottom line is, if we could come together and look at how similar we are and how much we all want the same, then we can affect change. That's why, for me, the divisiveness is, is the harm. It's not so much a protest. It's a, 
why are we protesting and why, if you are against something that Trump did, do you want to take out half of the population without ever even you know, communicating with them? Thank you for that perspective, um, both of you. Very well said, uh, both of you, and um, I appreciate it. I just want to close out with my thoughts on the solution segment by saying that when I was preparing for this show, uh, it just hit me that, um, you know, we see, we visually see the resistance um, to President Trump right now with the movement of hashtag resist and all of the protests. But there was another protest that took place during the election, and that's how President Trump got elected because of that was an act of protest. So for me, what it said to me was that we're, in a sense, we're all pro, I won't say all, a lot of us are protesting. We just don't realize that at the root, we're all protesting. Those of us who are protesting, we're all protesting the same things, a lot of which both of you just spoke to. to. So that's when I look at, is it healthy or harmful uh, in terms of the resistance against President Trump? Is it healthy or harmful for America? What I heard both of you say was that it's healthy and you support people speaking out against things they believe to be harmful to them and others. And I also heard, heard both of you say that you think it's harmful when the protests turn violent and the protests turn destructive. And I guess if we're protesting, you know, against each other and not uniting, we're, we're letting the media, we're letting politicians divide us. I think that's the common ground that I, that I gathered from this dialogue today. So with that being said, for me, the solution is coming together, finding ways to communicate outside of those traditional means, finding ways to sink, I'm sorry, to shrink the country using the tools that are available to us today because of technology, one of which we're using right now through this podcast. This is a form of media that we're taking control of. And just because of the evolution of technology, we were able to do it. So that gives me hope that there are resources, there are opportunities to shrink the distance between all of us, for us to communicate, get to know each other on a deeper level, because we just had someone, two people uh, on this podcast, one that voted for Donald Trump and one that voted against Donald Trump. However, at the core of what they just said, there was common ground. There was a lot of common ground. And in my heart of hearts, I truly believe that if we sat down the millions of people that voted for both of them and against or against, I'm sorry, the millions of people who voted for or against or didn't vote at all sat down and had conversations similar to this, dialogues where we listened, said our piece, I think that a lot of us would find that we all have very similar wants, needs, and common ground. And even on the things that we may disagree on, I think that if we sorted them out, we realize that it's not that we disagree on the issue, we just disagree maybe on the implementation or how it's implemented, and I believe that if we put our heads together, that we can come up with a solution. Again, dialogue assumes that many people have pieces of the answer and that together they can develop them into a workable solution. Currently within our political framework, there is no mechanism for that to happen, as John stated, for the 300 plus million versus the 300 in Washington. So 
if you are someone who believes that that model is flawed, that the balance of that is wrong, this representation democracy that we currently have is not for the people, by the people, as it should be, I just want to give you a resource. It's called thenextsystem.org. Thenextsystem.org. I'm not saying it's the only resource. I haven't read everything there. I'm just telling you that it's one place where you can go where you, you'll find people sharing ideas around the idea of creating something that is equitable and creating something on starting from the grassroots local area that we can be in control of from, like Kurt said, local, locally, starting there locally, instead of letting the media and politicians divide us. So that's what I want to share for the solution segment today. I appreciate everyone's time. I appreciate my, my co-host slash guest today. And if really quickly, we literally have five minutes for me to finish this whole outro up. John, could you please, uh, I'm sorry, we'll start with you, Kurt. Kurt, could you please tell our listeners how they could connect with you uh, and your work or anything you'd like to share about some of the work you're doing in the community? Um, I'm connected with the Anderson Monarchs Youth Program with Travel Club, uh, where I coach and mentor uh, young kids from the ages of about 5 to 16. So if you just, you know, look up Google and Anderson Monarchs, uh, send, send us an email, get in touch. And they're in Philadelphia, folks. Uh, they've traveled the country on um, they do amazing work. Uh, if you heard of Monet Davis a few years ago that took the Little League World Series by storm, uh, she's a part of that organization. That's the organization that groomed her and put that team on that, on that, on that platform uh, with the Little League World Series, and uh, Kurt has a lot to do with that. So kudos to you, Kurt, for the work you're doing in the community with those young people. Please, if you want to support that work, they do need donors. They're trying to start a school. They need donors to help them take trips around the country. Uh, Google the Anderson Monarchs in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, John, could you please briefly do the same? I sure can, but first I'll say, Kurt, thanks so much. It was a pleasure meeting you and doing the call today, and thanks for all the work you're doing with the youth because they are our future and they are so important, so thank you so much for that. Oh, thank, um, no, I thank can, you, man. It was a pleasure. Of course, of course, of course. Um, I can be found on Facebook, uh, John Costino. Uh, I am the president and founder of MoneyWise, which is a debt elimination software, and it's very specifically designed to help the average American to get out of their debt without any need for additional income, changing jobs. It literally allows the, uh, the bank computer algorithms that work against us to finally start working for us. So as always, Scott, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation and uh, look forward to our next call. Absolutely, John. Thank you so much. And again, for anyone who's looking to get out of debt, uh, you know, I trust John. He's someone who I know uh, has been successful with building organizations and companies in the past. And he truly, truly has people's best interests in mind. I cannot tell you guys how real that statement is because I've seen a lot of different angles and sides uh, to, to the, 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 the industry that John works in. And John only attaches himself to things that will help people. He tries to, to produce win-wins, win-wins, and that's so important. Um, and he sacrifices a lot of his time and money and energy and effort to make sure that people win. People who are willing to go to work will win. So with that being said, um, you know, definitely reach out and learn more uh, if it sounds interesting to you. So with that being said, Thank I will you, ask everyone. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Be sure to subscribe to the Race Haven podcast on the iPhone uh, podcast app or the Stitcher radio app for Android so that you never miss the dialogue. And if you love this show, please leave us a review. 
Uh, it will help us gain more visibility, more listeners. Um, so please, please, please go to Stitcher Radio uh, app or the iPhone. Um, I'm sorry, the podcast app on iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, I really, really need reviews. So I'm going to stay on that one for a quick second here. Please leave us a review. I know there's plenty of you who've been listening to this show for a long time now, uh, but I haven't seen the reviews. Um, you know, so please, if th- that would go a long way if you could take a, a minute just to do that. And um, we want to hear from you as well. So if you, you know, in addition to leaving a review, if you want to share a perspective, you can do so at solutions at racehavenpodcast.com. Please visit the Racehaven Podcast Facebook page for all episodes, or you can visit racehavenpodcast.com and leave comments and questions about today's show. You can also join our online community by joining the Racehaven Community Dialogue uh, Facebook group. It's a very, very interesting place, a lot of interesting dialogue around issues of race uh, and politics, et cetera. Uh, it happens there on a daily basis, and we're always looking for diverse perspectives people who are willing to do the work and roll up their sleeves, even when it gets messy and hard sometimes, if you're willing to come in there and just share your perspective so that we can all grow um, and be even more diverse, we would love to have you. Again, search for Race Haven Community Dialogue in Facebook to join the group. If today's episode resonated with you, please share the podcast link uh, on Facebook, social media, email, Uh, Other social medias, you can email it, text it, whatever. Please tell your friends and family about Race Haven. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to Race Haven, to all of our wonderful listeners who've been supporting us. Um, You know, we truly appreciate and love you. Uh, Race Haven is a safe place for people from diverse ethnic, religious, cultural, and political backgrounds to bring their race-based perspectives, questions, assumptions, frustrations, and experiences to engage in thoughtful, honest dialogue in an effort to transcend race and unify America. Remember, we're all smarter when we think together. Peace.